Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Richard, only a fool would dare to make a prediction about what will happen in next year's election. Well, Jim, call me a fool. (laughs) Go ahead. I challenge you. I predict that climate change will be front and center in 2020 and could drive up turnout among young voters who are worried about the impacts of global warming and also on the other side, voters who are worried about the rising costs of energy. This will be a much bigger issue next time around for Democrats and Republicans than it was in past elections. Well, you can call me a fool too, Richard, because I actually think you're right about that. Climate Change Politics 2020 with Bob Inglis. Pay as you go for the damages you're causing. So put it on the meter, put it at the pump, let the consumer see the actual price of, for example, coal-fired electricity. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? Recent election results in Europe and Australia have shown us that green politics are very much on the minds of voters. And here in the U.S., every Democratic presidential candidate is pledging to fight the impact of climate change. But this cuts both ways. You know, President Trump, he's always ridiculing talk about climate change and always plays to his base. And in Australia, the conservative prime minister won a surprise victory opposing the climate change agenda backed by his opponent. So there's overwhelming scientific evidence of human-caused climate change. You and I both agree on that. And after our interview, we'll be back to discuss what we've learned about the politics of climate. There are some early signs of major changes coming. Among the most interesting questions for me is whether more Republicans will come around to addressing the problem of climate change. And for this show, we revisit our interview with Republican Bob Inglis, really fascinating guy, former Republican member of Congress from South Carolina, who once upon a time, he used to ridicule the whole issue. He called it a bunch of hooey. But he changed his mind. And today, Bob leads a group called Republican.org, a group of conservatives who support free enterprise solutions for climate change. He's also an advisory board member uh, on the nonpartisan group Citizens Climate Lobby. Bob spoke to us via Skype from Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, and he told about efforts to change the minds of conservatives on how we should deal with climate change. We live to show conservatives that there's a 
as a small government answer to climate change. What conservatives have heard so far is a bigger government that is going to solve climate change. It was called cap and trade. Uh, that was a pretty complicated scheme. They also then heard uh, a regulatory solution from President Obama called the Clean Power Plan. And so what they've heard is big government solutions. And so what we live to do at RepublicEN.org is show them that there's a small government answer. It's just leveling the playing field, eliminating all the subsidies for all the fuels, and attaching all costs to all the fuels. And, and is there a tax as well in this proposal? It's not designed to be a punitive tax. It's just designed to say, listen, pay as you go for the damages you're causing. So put it on the meter, put it at the pump, let the consumer see the actual price of, for example, coal-fired electricity. Right now, the health cost associated with coal-fired electricity, the, the socializing of soot that goes on that means that people end up with the stuff in their lungs and they go to the hospitals and cost all kinds of money. That cost isn't on my meter. I don't see it. Um, I, I can't control it. Um, and, of course, the climate damages caused by uh, coal-fired electricity aren't at the meter either. And so I, as a consumer, don't get a price signal. I don't see it. And therefore, I'm not out demanding cleaner, better, faster, cheaper. I'm just stuck with coal-fired electricity thinking it's okay because I can't see the cost that it's causing. So with that, with you, that cost signal in the system, energy that you get that comes from natural gas or even better, you know, solar and hydro, that would have a lower cost. The coal-fired power would have a much higher cost. The utilities would have a huge incentive to phase out the dirty coal, Right. Right, and that would be accomplished through a carbon tax. And, of course, the T word is a hard part there, right, the car a carbon tax. Who would be for a tax, including especially Especially conservatives, conservatives yeah. So how, how much would the tax be per dollar, say? Or would it be a big tax or a relatively small tax? Uh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's relatively small, actually. Uh, most people are talking somewhere $25 a ton or – $40 a ton, something like that. But the impact of that at the gas pump is uh, a direct uh, correlation. So if you put on a $25 per ton price on carbon dioxide, it increases the price of gasoline at the pump by 25 cents a gallon. If you put a $40, cent per, or $40 per ton price on carbon dioxide, it increases the price of gasoline by 40 cents a gallon at the pump. Uh, not catastrophic. And then at the meter, it's a $25 per ton price in carbon dioxide is one to two cents per kilowatt hour. Um, if you're in South Carolina, you're probably right in the middle of that because we're 50% nuclear. If you're Washington State, you're way at the low end of that range because there's so much hydro there. If you're Indiana, you're, you're in bad shape because Indiana is 97% coal. Um, and so... Um, they're going to pay the high, the highest range of that. Now, your your idea also balances out the tax with various tools to make sure that this is a revenue neutral plan. It's not just a broad tax on consumers. Revenue neutral meaning that um, this may be a tax, but then there's a cut 
in taxes in some other area. Right, right. right. And how do you make sure it's fair and the and the costs aren't just, you know, falling much more heavily on some sectors of society and not so much on others? Yeah. We're for individual tax reduction. We're for payroll tax reduction. And we're even for a dividend. Just just write checks to everybody. Return the money to the taxpayers like the Alaska Permanent Fund. All those are fine with us. Just as long as revenue neutral. No growth of the government here. While we're solving climate change, let's not grow the government. We're conservatives. So, Bob, you represented a very conservative district. What made you change your mind about climate change? You know, the first six years in Congress, I said climate change was nonsense. I really didn't know anything about it except that Al Gore was for it. (laughs) And uh, since I represented probably one of the reddest districts in the reddest state in the nation, uh, that was the end of the inquiry. So, I was in Congress six years, out six years, running again in '04. My son came to me. Uh, he was voting for the first time. He just turned 18. And so he said to me, Dad, I'll vote for you, but you're going to clean up your act on the environment. Um, so that was really the first of a three-step process for me. The second step was going to Antarctica with the Science Committee, seeing the evidence of the ice core drillings. third step was uh, Great Barrier Reef snorkeling with an Aussie climate scientist named Scott Heron, who I could tell shared my worldview um, without any words being spoken, because I could see that he's worshiping God and what he was showing me. Um, Later, we had a chance to talk, and he told me about conservation changes he's making in his life in order to love God and love people. So what was the idea that made you change your mind? Uh, Was it that there's just evidence that you hadn't considered? Yes, there was evidence, but it was mostly uh, love, really, that made me change my mind. You know, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And so it was the love of my son and his four sisters, my wife. Uh, It was the love of uh, uh, Scott Heron, that Aussie climate scientist. Um, That became more important to me than the political risk. And so, um, yeah, there was political risk, but uh, and there was plenty of information. But until we hear the information from somebody that we care about, it's hard for us to change our minds. Um, and it, it, we can really only change our minds in the context of um, grace, where we're, 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 we're thinking we're going to be extended grace. Otherwise, we hunker down and, um, you know, just uh, argue on, usually with greater volume. That's Uh, such an important point you're making, that we only change our minds when we listen to those we love. Yeah. So, for example, I was once at a conference, um, and this guy turns to me and says, uh, did you buy carbon offsets for your travel here? as he proceeded to polish his halo. <laughs> and I, I said something about, well, I just read something in Wall Street Journal, and I said, no, that's a scam, isn't it? He turned to the guy next to him and said, that's what they all say when they don't want to be responsible. If that guy told me what day of the week it is, I'd check my calendar, right? I mean, there's nothing that he could say to me at that point that, that, that I would find interesting or relevant or persuasive at all. Uh, but contrast that with my friend Scott Heron. If Scott told me, listen, uh, here's this body of water. Let's swim across it. Uh, it looks pretty wide, Scott, but if you say so, I'll, I'm in. 
because I know that uh, Scott cares for me. Bob, do you think that a lot of people who are concerned about climate change have made kind of a strategic error by framing their arguments, basically that we're the good people, you're the bad people, you're the greedy people, um, and they've driven away some more libertarian or conservative folks who might be able to open their minds the way you have if they weren't so put off by the tone of the messenger. Yeah, the, the tone really makes a difference. You know, um, I, I once uh, said to the guy that does our ad work, I said to him, Greg, I think you're right. Um, most decisions are emotional. And he said, correction, all decisions are emotional. Um, and I, I've come to that conclusion. That may seem irrational, and, and particularly the scientist among us might feel, you know, isn't that terrible? We're making decisions based on emotions. But actually, it makes us very complex beings and far more interesting than computers. Many of the most strident supporters of President Trump are devout Christians. Uh, can you talk about the connection between loving God and loving the environment? What you got to know about people of faith is that many of us have been, have been um, familiar with this contest between faith and science. And so accepting the science seems to be deserting God. Among many evangelical Christians, there's this contest between faith and science. Um, I don't think this is a contest at all. I think it's a little bit like my wife and I and our five kids. Whenever any one of them would walk, it was a big deal. You know, come on, Robert, you can do it. Mary Ashton, take that next step. Come on, it's so exciting. That's my view of us and God and science. He's telling us, come on, I'll show you how I did it. You'll be amazed. Come on, take that next step. Kill cancer. Come on, let's do it. And so some things will remain mysterious to us, uh, but, but we should see it as a, a wonderful process of discovery from a self-revealing God. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with former South Carolina Republican Congressman Bob Inglis. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So I take it you're not a fan of President Trump's plan to bring back coal. Well, no, because I think that, uh, uh, you know, the thing that is surely is going to happen here is truth ultimately wins out. I believe that very firmly. And so you can't go to the coal miners and say, dig on, and then go to Texas and say to the frackers, frack on. 
it's you can't say those two things. They're inconsistent. Because, because fracking has so sharply reduced the cost of natural gas um, that that makes coal less competitive, right? Right. It's uh, so it, you know it's convenient to blame it on the secret Muslim non-American socialist in the White House that he was conducting <laughs> a war on coal. Um, but he's none of those things, and he was not. If he had a war on coal, it's like the the end of Saving Private Ryan, and the captain's down on the ground. He's got the handgun out, and he's shooting at the tank. If there was a war on coal, the guy in the tank is is George Mitchell. He's the perfecter of fracking. He's the one that did the war on coal. And Barack Obama, if he was conducting the war on coal, he's the captain with a handgun <laughs> uh, with a, a few regulations. But it was a thing called fracking that has destroyed the coal industry. And for people who don't follow the details, it's worth reminding them that natural gas has way less CO2 per unit of energy than coal. So even though you're still burning a fossil fuel, it's much better for the climate than coal. And it doesn't have all those nasty particulates and sulfur dioxide and all that other bad stuff. Yeah, so we, we see it as, as wonderful bridge fuel. Is it the end all? No, but um, it sure is a lot better. 50% less CO2, um, uh, it sure is a lot better, a lot cleaner, less small particulates too. So, Bob, before we leave you, I, I want to go right back to the beginning of our show and talk about what are the chances that you will convince more Republicans to take climate change seriously? Um, folks are coming around, particularly young conservatives, um, want a, a, a platform that's responsive to their future. And your own kids helped change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. They, when, when is in the context of love and grace and somebody really cares for you, you can hear a lot from them. If you don't care for me, I'm not going to hear anything from you. And so um, that's what we need to do. We need to reach people and say, you know, we really like you. We think you're good. We think you got good ideas. And the idea is uh, actually if you, get, if you get into the discussion and pass the shouting, um, really we can find solutions. Um, it's, just, it's just the shouting that's the problem. Bob, that's a great note to wrap up on. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and for joining us on How Do We Fix It. Great to be with you. Thanks a lot, Bob. Since we did that interview, much has happened, and Jim and I will discuss it in a moment. Our show is How Do We Fix It? And to us, the questions we ask are a big part of finding solutions. And we'd like to ask a few questions of you. We're setting up a funding account with Patreon shortly, and we want your help. What extra goodies are you looking for in return for supporting us? Please email us at daviescontent at gmail.com. Davies is spelt the Welsh way, D-A-V-I-E-S, daviescontent at gmail.com. If it's in the context of love and grace, if somebody really cares for you, you can hear a lot from them. But if you don't care for me, I'm not going to hear anything from you. I thought that was a wonderful quote from Bob about how to try and invite somebody to change their mind about this climate change and other things as well. 
Yeah, and something that's been such a core of our show going back to the start is not easy to do. And I think on the issue of climate change, especially the two sides have really driven or driven themselves into their corners where all they do is kind of shout insults across to the other side. It's not a great way to build a a consensus, especially on an issue that's so vital for all of us. Yeah, so we thought we'd, we'd set up something that we haven't done before, I don't think, Jim, which is... I'm going to try and summarize the Republican argument against climate change, and you're going to come back and summarize the liberal argument for action on climate change, yeah? That's right, yeah. And this is something that people sometimes say is really the hallmark of being able to listen to people you disagree with. Can you fairly characterize their argument without simply vilifying them? So, Richard, you're on. Okay. Well, I'm not sure I'm going to be totally fair, but here to me are the arguments that are put forward by President Trump and and most Republicans who ridicule the impact of climate change by imposing a tax on carbon that you hurt the economy and that you drive up the price of energy for average consumers and that you're also using the nanny state the big government, to try and tell people how to live their lives, especially people who drive trucks or drive long distances. Um, You know, if you're increasing the price of carbon, then their gas prices are going to go up. And then the other big Republican argument is that government is way too big already. We don't need a bunch of regulations to tell industry how to reduce pollution or how to combat climate change. Okay, so now I'll take on the progressive or liberal argument, which is that climate change is real and it's an enormous crisis. So therefore, we need to take really radical steps to address it. And that includes things like mandating that we get all of our power from renewable energy sources, clamping down on the use of fossil fuels, changing our mix of of our transportation. And if that requires some pretty heavy-handed government intervention in the economy and in people's personal lives, well, it's a crisis, and we need to, to really treat it like a crisis. We need to take a wartime footing, you know, all hands on deck approach. And and just like in wartime, maybe that means, you know, you lose a few personal freedoms, but it's for a good cause. So Jim, you use the word heavy handed to describe government regulations. That may not be an entirely fair way to put what progressives see as as a, as a real emergency for uh, trying to deal with climate change. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the difference between progressives and conservatives is that, you know, progressives think that it's worthwhile to use the government to remake different institutions to be better. Uh, And conservatives tend to think that freedom is a bigger value. So we're seeing that play out here by the same token in your in your summary, which I thought was quite good. But you would only address the issue of a carbon tax. And I think kind of sadly, a lot of liberals and progressives have sort of moved past the carbon tax idea, partly because they're recognizing that it's pretty politically challenging. You know, since we recorded the show, do you think we've made much progress towards a carbon tax or other meaningful policies here? I'm not sure we've made a lot of progress on the carbon tax. And I, I think that one of the problems of the tax is 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 that three-letter word. And also that those who advocate it are proposing a negative for most people, which is a tax, rather than talking about the positive, which would be, say, 
greenbacks or or a <laughs> dividend, a check that is sent to consumers that is their share of the money raised from a carbon tax. One of the most interesting things that I do think has changed is the way that some conservatives, even people who in the past have ridiculed the impact of, of climate change, are changing their messaging. For instance, John Barrasso, who's a Republican from Wyoming, which is an oil and uranium-rich state, who spent years blocking climate change legislation, introduced a bill this year to promote nuclear energy, saying that he thinks it will be a way to tackle global warming. Also, there are other examples of uh, Republican senators who've been talking about change, among them John Cornyn of Texas, who's writing legislation to reduce emissions through energy innovation. And Senator Lamar Alexander, another Republican, who wants to create a Manhattan Project for clean energy funding. So these are signs that even some very conservative senators are at least changing the messaging of what they have been talking about in response to public opinion polls that show rising concern about the impacts of climate change. Yeah, another one is Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, who's also involved in legislation on, on, on nuclear power. Yeah, and, and, and we're seeing CEOs as well. There's a group, a recently formed group called CEO Climate Dialogue, which has endorsed cutting the country's uh, greenhouse gas emissions by 80% or more by 2050. So yes. there, yeah. there are signs of, of some movement, but uh, it hasn't been dramatic yet. And I really like your idea of... If we do have a carbon tax, we take that money and we rebate it to American taxpayers in the form of not just a tax break at the end of the year, but an actual check or maybe quarterly checks people get. You know, in Alaska, the Alaskan residents have, since they started drilling oil on the North Slope, everybody gets a check, their little portion of some of the proceeds of that revenue. And it's incredibly popular. Well, what if we took the money from a carbon tax, and sent everybody a small piece. I think that would go a long way to building political support for it. And not only that, Jim, but, mm -hmm. but having this green payback or these greenbacks, you could call them, uh, coming before you impose the tax or right at the beginning of imposing the tax rather than waiting for 12 or 18 months after the tax has already been in place and is, has been unpopular. That helps, helps you think differently about the problem. And, and in addition to that carbon tax, I think that whatever happens, back to the prediction at the start of the show, I do think that voter turnout will be driven to some extent by the climate issue, whether it's for or against voting for various proposals. And we've really seen that in Europe, for instance, where the European election, which the results were announced earlier this week, the turnout was up quite dramatically this time compared with four years ago after turnouts being down for every successive election since the 1970s. So uh, we saw an increase in support not only for populists, but also for green parties in many countries of Europe. You know, ominously, we're seeing the middle get hollowed out in Europe. You know, we're seeing the rise of more far left parties and we're seeing the rise of these populist and, and, and right wing parties. And that, that know, may be over exaggerated, though. I, I think it's 
part of the way the term is being used. For instance, there, there are some liberal parties that did pretty well, and they're fairly centrist, at least by European standards. Yeah. So, well, but the, the thing to keep in mind here, sometimes the very same issue can drive turnout on both sides. If progressives really go to the polls with a radical version of the Green New Deal, I think that will drive a lot of uh, opposition on on the conservative side, and uh, it may also bring in a lot of voters on the progressive side. I wonder which number is bigger. I, I wouldn't hazard a guess. They could kind of cancel each other out. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we've been talking about the politics of climate change on our episode this week. Thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Uh, the theme music is by Luz Travinsky. We're a production of Davies Content. Uh, find out more about how we make podcasts and whether we could make one for you at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.